0: explain, you know, for those who've not been here and around, we had been reading uh, a a book in the New Testament called the Letter to the Galatians. It was uh, Paul, the apostle, who wrote to the Galatians because of confusion that had come into their church gathering, um, all to do with anti-truth, you know, people uh, presenting stuff which wasn't truth and yet proclaimed it was truth. They, they probably had sort of grounds for doing that because, um, because of the nature of the Jewish life and um, the ways that God had taught them, you know, to live by commandments and to live, um, you know, that we should honour what God said and live by that. And that. There's nothing wrong in that. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled all those commandments and it gave the people, the whole people of the earth, something to look to and and to live for and to know that Jesus actually completed all that God ever required and stood in our place so that we might be able to call out to him for salvation just by believing. And that's the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can believe in what Jesus did. We can look at what he did, his death on the cross, shedding his blood for us, rising again from the dead and returning to heaven. Is a whole pattern of God's provision for us that we might come to faith and come to life. That's amazing, isn't it? Because even a child with the smallest of understanding or littlest of wisdom and and understanding can reach out to Jesus. And I can remember... Uh, when we were working with children years ago, and I've said this before, forgive me for all the repetitions I make, but consider my age. Um, What was that laugh for, Tom? What's he like? Stays away for a week, says he's ill, and comes back and laughs at my things like that. Isn't that right? (laughs) A lady came up to me and she said, my kids can't understand God, but they can understand Jesus. And I understand a little bit of that thought, you know. God has made itself real when Jesus came. Tangible, you know, everything. And where James is going this morning is, is really, in a sense, all based on Jesus. But let's read in James, and I'm going to read the whole of the first chapter because we are dealing with wisdom from God. And we need to look at what that that means. Steve dealt with steadfastness last week and we. He helped us very well to understand what steadfastness means. I won't go over it, but you can pick the tape up, if you, or the CD, or download whatever MP3 or whatever it is to listen. You know, all these people laughing in the corner this morning. Okay, James, um, and chapter one and verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Very practical is James. Very down to earth, I think we read. Right to the point, not mincing his words. But we have to sort of try and understand the sort of people he was... um, Writing this letter to, and I just wonder what sort of people they were. You know, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive. Remember, he's writing to Christians, more than likely, and you just wonder what sort of people those. Now, our initial reaction is, "I'm not like that, are we? <laughs> we're not like that." You know, sometimes it can be so, but James is talking about putting it away. Okay. Steve said something about James. He's related. To Jesus? You would have thought that James would have been over-familiar with Jesus in a sense that he wouldn't say too much about him. But in actual fact, the whole of James' writing, I think he's got Jesus in mind. He's got Jesus in mind. If we go reading towards the end of James, it's not our passage this morning, um, James talks about the wisdom of God is pure, undefiled, And in actual fact, it's almost personified. You can hear James talking about from someone he's learnt what true wisdom from God is like. Looking at Jesus, he knows that even even as his half-brother or brother or just another member of his family, he was one who had exceptional qualities that he could be drawn to him and copy him and do the things which he did And in that way, he was actually attracted to Jesus. He wasn't familiar, over-familiar with him just being part of someone he knew. He knew he was someone special. And so wisdom is actually personified throughout this book. And I think James takes his cue from Jesus. What he saw him do, the way that he did it, his actions and reactions. And we live in that sort of world, don't we? You know, what we do, how we do it, why we do it how we react to others, and then just how we act, basically. How do we live our lives? Now, if um, Helen can get the first slide up for me, which is, I'm um, tossing the coin. I wonder, uh, what, what decisions did you make this morning do you have to make, was you forced to make when you got up out of bed this morning? Anybody? Oh, you can't really see it very well, can you? Anyway, just in case you can't see it, it says, and I need to go a bit closer. When faced with two choices, simply toss a coin. It works not because it settles the question for you, but because in that brief moment when the coin is in the air, you suddenly know what you're hoping for. It is strange, but we live in that sort of life don 't we? The sense of chance with no real direction sometimes or no real reason why we make a decision. Um, the things we buy, the choices we have and so choices we make and when we get up each day, there are all sort of regular choices that we make, and we live in that sort of world and What I'm talking about this morning, what we're looking at in James, is the wisdom I actually apply to my life. And when I looked at it, I thought to myself, well, how do do I see this this sort of wisdom? And I thought, well, I had to think about the people he was talking to. People of a dispersion. If we know our Bibles, when we read things like the dispersion, not only did God through his prophets, prophesy that the Jewish people would be scattered, not only because of their failure to relate to God in the way that they should, but because they fell apart through the lack of understanding who God really was and living their lives by the standard that he gave them. They fell apart, the dispersion. And not only did the Jewish people fall into that situation which God prophesied and which happened to them and even today all throughout the world the Jewish nation is scattered and for a moment we look at them and we but we look at them in the sense that we see them today queer people funny people you know people that wear funny hats and do funny things and and sometimes we we forget that it was through the Jewish nation that God intended to show and declare his wisdom through this world they failed to do it and that's not a complaint that's not a judgment against them it's just that they didn't quite get to the point of learning their lives with the expectation of God expectation of God upon it on their lives and so if we look at what the word wisdom means the word wisdom means is learning the skill the mastery and the art of living my life with the expectation of God upon it. Learning how to live my life with the expectation of God upon it. And we as Christians, as people in this world, are caught up with all sorts of things. We're faced with all sorts of situations and how do we approach them? Do we approach them with a said, you know, now I wonder how God, would deal with this issue. I wonder what God wants me to do. What is my calling in life? I just want to take you to the carpenter shop at Nazareth where Jesus grew up. He was a carpenter and he made all the things that a carpenter would make. And I can't list them or whatever they would be. And he learned a skill, the skill of carpentry. And not only would he know how to make things, whether it was a plough or whether it was a rake by using wood or whatever it was, or making items of furniture, he would learn a skill to do that. But there was another aspect of it, two aspects of it. First, am I putting my best into this for the person that's going to receive it? Applying wisdom, applying the skill of the expectation of God upon my life in a situation. Now here's these people dispersed and they would be hard-pressed to find life easy. They were forced by circumstance, they were cut off, they would be in a trial and the result of being moved out of their community, out of their comfort zone, out of their culture, whether local or domestic, or national, and would have added psychological and practical problems, leaving behind friends and separated from family, business, property, being unsettled and being resettled, trying to create favour within their community and acceptance, finding work and support, no NHS, no DHSS, maybe not even a real established church community. And they'll probably say, "Where's God now?" Well, for a few moments, we're just going to look at a couple of things. They're sort of pertinent to, us, pertinent to us as a church family. And that is, um, can we have the Syria one up, Helen? You remember Rosemary who's with us? She's got a real heart for Syria. Her husband is Syrian. And um, this week, she's having a, a show in Hern Bay in the Bay Art Gallery in William Street. And it's to raise the profile of the need of people in Syria. So if you're free and you pop in this week, there will be posters and information about how people can help the people in Syria. I mean, we call ourselves Christian people here, and we think of the Christian people in Syria. And they're in a similar situation. You know, the people of Syria, as what what James is writing about here. The difficulty and the hard testing of trials forced upon them. Where is God in all this? And we could say that even in our own situation and circumstances. We're just living our lives ordinary with everyday problems in our home life and paying the bills and um, facing our neighbours with all their things over the fence and, you know, what goes on with neighbours and stuff like that, you know. What is the expectation of God upon my life? Am I living it with the wisdom of God? (coughs) And the word wisdom that we look at this morning, that we're supposed to ask God for, is how can I live my life with all these things going on around me with the expectation of God upon it? How can I do that? Well, James just tells us quite simply if we lack wisdom, if we lack the skill and the wherewithal to understand what God does really want, He says, let him ask of God. And that's really the first point, is it? Whatever situations we are in life, whether a house moving and they don't work, whether I'm facing a new course at university in my life, having a baby come into the family. You know, how can I live my life with the expectation of God upon it? In actual fact, how can I really start now to bring this child up with the expectation of God upon it? How can I do that? And it's just called wisdom here, but from the Old Testament we learn that it's actually learning how to live my life with the expectation of God upon it. And I think the whole point is if we look around us we've actually lost the plot of how to live our lives. The word explained wisdom in the Old Testament is learning the mastery of doing that. Learning the skill of doing that. It's not actually... Like a coin box where you drop a coin into it God's dropping the coin of wisdom into our life He does give us wisdom He does But I want you to think of two letters A and B Okay, Julian's hopefully moving house soon And they're going to move from one house to another house But let's take other situations of life I start my life, I end my life How do I get from there to there? Does God give us A and B in a little packet? Well, he does. But in actual fact, God shows us in situations how to get from, we put the A and the B apart, and God actually shows us the process of how to get from there to there. That's what James is saying in these early verses here. Verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What a wonderful prospect James gives to the Christians there, that you may be perfect, that you may be complete, and lacking nothing. It is that God sees each one of us this morning I want you to be perfect and I want you to be complete lacking nothing and here's these people living under the result of persecution and they say where's God in all this but yet he wants me to be perfect and complete and lacking nothing and James goes on to say if any man lacks wisdom let him ask if God could just encourage us all, refresh our decision-making process, our problem process, and our vision process of what we'd really like to do, because at the end of James, talks about the businessmen. He said, you want to go here, do this, this, this year, and next year, and next year. How, how foolish are you? You, know, you say, if God, if God really wants it, then I want it. And if God doesn't want it, I don't want it. But sometimes we go beyond that and we go headlong. Yes, it's good to have ambitions. Yes, it's good to have something to look forward to and to do and to aim towards. But if God's not in it, that's not taking on what what James is talking about here. If you're doing it for another reason than what God ever intended... then we're lacking the wisdom that God intends for our lives. And so Jesus in the carpenter shop, he made things with the skill. He had the skill, but there were other intentions in that too. How can I make this best for the person I'm giving it to? And how can I show what God has given me in what I'm doing? Can I take pride in what I'm doing? And that's another area our employment, and our learning areas in life. Am I living with the mastery and the skill of the expectation of God upon my life? Or am I just doing my own thing? Am I living my life with other people around me? Am I just doing it my own way? I'm doing my own thing. And I'm sure by just mentioning that this morning, it actually challenges us to say, well, I really must... Ask God, I really must ask Him to give me the skill and the wisdom to know what His will is for my life. Can you read, can you turn to Genesis 41? let just read a little story we know quite well. Genesis 41. We all know Joseph or heard of Joseph in his technicolor green, green coat, but a sort of minimum understanding in Genesis 41 we're introduced to Joseph in prison, Pharaoh having a bad dream and not knowing what to do with it and making, taking the wrong action and ending up hearing from God. Genesis 41 we read, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. They fed in the grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin. And if we read down, we read about the dream and all that happened. And if we look at verse 7 there, And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plumpful ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, It was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. We also live in a world of looking in the wrong places and to reading the wrong things to give us guidance in life. As far as God is concerned, the bad choice is mediums, Ouija boards, horoscopes, bad counselling, bad areas of counselling, and those things in order that we might get direction in life. So if anything, Pharaoh gives us the challenge, am I looking to the right place? Because James has said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God. And so, Pharaoh, and you read here, he's, he's just desperate, isn't he? All the wise men, all the magicians, anyone who can help me. You know? And James is saying his letter, that's not the way. We need to have a focus who's really going to help us. Who's really going to help me today? Living my life with the expectation of God upon it? No, Pharaoh wasn't in that place, was he? But he did learn that he could. The story goes on that Joseph's in prison. Now, Joseph is living his life with the expectation of God upon it, even though he may have done some of the things in the wrong way. He had dreams too, so he knew what it was like to have dreams and to be asking himself, what does this dream mean? We can have dreams so often and you know they can be actually wacky, aren't they? You're not looking at me, dear, this morning Then I mention wacky dreams. <laughs> but there are other dreams that come, aren't they, you know? And they, the sort of concept and the idea are repetitive through them. And God could be saying something to us through those dreams. We may need to share it with someone. They I mean, I say, what do you think God is saying to me? Or... Father in heaven, I've had this dream for several days now. What are you trying to say to me? Let him ask of God. So Joseph knew all about dreams. He knew what it was to have a dream and wonder what God was saying. But the whole point about it is that Joseph learnt the mastery and the skill to live his life with the expectation of God upon it. You know, he was put in, reason, in prison not something he'd done good, but he was. He'd actually chosen the right thing to do and got slapped in jail for it because no one believed him. Joseph's, a certain section of Joseph's life was a trial, which is what James is talking about. You're going through these trials, and it's the process of faith learning to live under the expectation of God on your life bringing about completion and perfection in your life. What a way. That's not the way you do it. It's not the way I do it, is it? But it's learning to my, live my life with the expectation of God upon it. And so let's read on the story. In verse 17, Joseph has been introduced to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream... I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, etc, 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 etc. It goes down the bottom. And uh, verse 24. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. There was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And he told him how the things would happen. Eventually, you know, Joseph, because he'd learnt the mastery to live with God, expectation of God on his life, was brought into a position of responsibility, second to the king. God moved him on. Having had a bad start and having awful things happen to him, the end, the completion of the story, is amazing, isn't it? No one else could have done it except God. You know? And as some Christians here, you can look back on your lives, and you see amazing things happen. You know? God wants the amazing for us. He wants the amazing for us. And so Pharaoh was introduced to a God whom actually he could have asked and sought for help and guidance. We know it didn't happen, turn out that way. But you know, that just tells us there are secular ways of trying to seek an answer to life situations. But there's a godly way of doing it as well. And James is saying to the people that he's writing to, those in the dispersion, as it were, those in the persecution, if you lack wisdom how to work out these difficulties and problems in your life, ask God. Now, it took a long time to get there, but isn't it such important? Because we just sometimes ignore living my ordinary things of life with the expectation of God upon it. Now, I think the life of Jesus would say to us very much that being a carpenter is being an ordinary person, doing an ordinary job, and yet he was living it with the expectation of God upon it. And James would tell us what Paul said. Jesus is made unto us wisdom. Paul reminded the Christians he was writing to, Jesus is made unto us wisdom. What does that mean? It means if we look at Jesus, we can learn the art and the mastery of living with the expectation of God upon it. And it doesn't matter whatever situation we're in, what actions we take, what reactions we give, we not only look at Jesus' life, but we try and hear the things that he says. And so we would say with James this morning, ask God, look at Jesus, and don't forget to look at him. We had the Syria people in the dispersion with problems and difficulties. There's also the Philippines, and we've mentioned them this morning. And at this point in time, I'm just going to ask that we stand and pray for the people in the Philippines. Because at any given time in our lives, we could face, we hope we don't. God has gloriously given us as a nation. As a land and as a people, peace and stability. And we just need to thank God for that. You know, we can go through our lives enjoying so much and not knowing who to thank. And that's learning the art of gratitude, part of wisdom. Father, we're here this morning. History talks about people who've been unsettled and dispersed and moved about and and, and, and not knowing what to do in such difficult situations, and we pray for the people in the Philippines today. Our prayer is that aid will get to them quickly and that we will not hold back from giving where we need to. But we pray that you will help them, Lord, to work out their lives, knowing that you know about it, And you will help. Lord, there are big questions that we can't answer this morning when we say, why the storm for them? We can't answer that question. We have to give that back to you and say, Lord, it's part of life that we don't understand fully. But we pray about it. In the meantime, we would say, Lord, thank you for all that we have received from the hand of your goodness. Because we know that, as James said, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And so we say thank you, Lord, this morning. I'm just going to ask two people, one from each side of the room, maybe just to pray for the people in the Philippines. It doesn't have to be long, just a short prayer. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Let me sit down again now. So, when we read James and we read about people in the dispersion, they're also Christians in the early days, the yearly church. And um, I just want to, if you've got a Bible, read it with me because it all revolves in the same sort of issues. We talk about Jews being dispersed, but this was for a different. Different reason in Acts 8, and I believe this takes in some of what James is writing to when he talks about those who dispersed. I know he talks about the scattered 12 tribes, but there were others as well. I'm sure there were some of these there too. Acts 8, verse 1 and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. They went about preaching the word, those who were scattered. The early church was shattered that it might be scattered. People in a dispersion, people wanting to know how to live their lives with the expectation of God upon it, and it's so difficult in those situations. But James' message is clear, if you're in that difficult place, ask God. Why ask God? Well, first of all, the Old Testament writer tells us his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's a good reason. There are many other reasons because we, sometimes we forget who God is, that he actually wants us to catch us up with his glory and he's not just an image, and an idol of worship or just a name that we use. He wants to catch us up with his glory being perfect and complete in what we are and what we're doing. His ways will be... So when we ask God, we need to remember that his ways are going to be higher than our ways. They may be totally different. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So God has thoughts. He has ways. And James is saying, ask God and he will, he will give to you. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is the giver? The Jewish people had several names they gave to God because they had learnt how God gave to them and how God related to them. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Because they'd learnt that God does provide for them in their lives. And I just want to encourage us to know that if our whatever our need is today, whether it's financial or whether it's health, or if it's lack of understanding, or if it's something we're really battling against, something we're really battling against, you know, he's still Jehovah-Jireh, our provider. And it was Jesus who emphasized this to the people he lived his life amongst, how he gave, made provision for the people. You could think of the feeding of the 5,000, you could think of Zacchaeus, whose life was in a mess because of money, and he gave, he provided for Zacchaeus, A way out. A way out. And then there was Peter. Oh, Peter really thought he'd lost it, didn't he? When he disowned Jesus. Yeah. And this morning we may be trying to live our lives with the expectation of God, and yet we mess up. We go down a wrong road and we do a wrong thing. And yet our God is gracious. And when Jesus calls... The disciples later on to himself he said get these disciples for me and Peter See that amazing inclusion Peter had disowned Jesus but Jesus still loved him so much and drew him back in to the fold as it were and Peter became that that man for God amazing you know Jehovah Jireh our provider so James in his letter has told the people, he says, so when you're going through these trials and difficulties, count it a joy. Well, I think it's a funny sort of word to use there, but it's obviously used. Well, you wouldn't jump up and down at going through the difficulties. Why count it a joy? Because James says it's the testing of your faith. The testing of your faith. What is the testing of My faith. Well, the testing of my faith is not having just things we believe in to prove that it's real. Yeah, Not having things we actually believe in to prove that they are real to us. And so God actually takes the mess, he takes the difficulties and the situations, the process that we go through in life, and that's a testing of our faith. It's, testing's a funny word too, but it's, Proving it to be real. Proving it to be genuine. Proving it to be something of value to us in our lives. James said that you might be perfect and complete. Complete, and it's just a way that God does it. He uses it. Count it all joy. Wisdom, then, what does it mean? It's learning how to live the expectation of God on my life and I think that's what we need to try and aim for this morning I mean James talks about lots of things doesn't he? he talks about the rich and the poor how do I work this in community rich people living with poor people Jewish people living with Gentile people and people from other nationalities of work how do I work this unity out if I find that difficult then let me let us ask of God And it talks about when we ask, not wavering, not being in doubt. What does the word doubt mean? To be in doubt, which means with no way, with no way forward. When we saw the coin tossed in the air, we saw the coin tossed in the air, it's chance, isn't it? And that's the doubt, isn't it? You don't actually know which side the coin is going to land. But you say, I'll go with it, which way it lands, even if it may be wrong. It's having a certainty about the expectation of God on my life, that wherever I am, whatever situation I am in, if we allow God to be, he will be in control of that situation. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God. Julian, have you got a song to finish with this morning? No, you haven't. Okay. I'm just going to um, throw out the offer. You know, James at at the end, he gives us some snippets about what to ask God for. Some snippets. He says, um, He said, if any man is in trouble, let him pray. If anyone's happy, let him praise God. Let him praise God. And if anyone is sick, let him call the elders of the church to pray for him, that he may be healed. You know, if we ask someone something, it's private. If we call someone, it's public. It's public, and you know, if you want prayer for, if you feel that you need prayer for some sickness or some health problem this morning, then as we sing a song, this <laughs> is Helen. That's good. Good. Please feel free to. Well, I'm just inviting you to come forward.